Father, um, God, you, you know that I need you. I'm very aware of that right now. But God, it's, it's awesome to get to come and talk to you and to know that you've promised to be with us wherever we go. And so God, I believe that you're here with me. And so I'm excited about that. And God, would, would you help me to teach your word faithfully? God, I need it. And God, I'm also asking, would you please be kind enough, God? Would, would you work on our hearts today that, that we would hear your word? And God, if it's not through me, that's fine. You do it. This is about you, God. We, we want you to be lifted up. We want to meet you. God, I, we don't want them to meet me. We want them to meet you. And so God, I'm praying. I'm praying that you would be strong and kind to us today as you would speak to our hearts. God, give us ears to hear what you would have, what you would say to us. And God, for Mark and the team that's, that's uh, overseas right now, I pray you would be with them, God. Give them all the energy and strength that they need. And we do pray for the seafarers ministry. God, would you give them fruit? Would you give them access to men and women who have never heard the gospel, God? And, and give them wisdom about how to proclaim that to them in an effective way. And I, God, I, I pray you would make their efforts fruitful, God, and that you would magnify it. And I pray that all in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, as Pastor Titus already told you, we are starting the book of Ruth today. So I get the privilege of walking you through that really awesome book in the Old Testament. It, it's a really, I mean, it's an awesome story. I really loved reading it over and over and over again this week. And we're going to be in Ruth chapter 1. And here's what I want to do as you're flipping over to Ruth chapter 1. I want to give you background about what's happening in this book. Um, it's, it's kind of a mess with the time they live in. It says it happens in the time of the judges. If you know anything about the Old Testament, the book of Judges is the Jerry Springer show of the Old Testament. It is absolutely, without a doubt, some of the craziest things that you will read in the Bible that happen in the book of Judges. And, and this is when the book of Ruth is happening. It's, it's wild. And, and here's the thing that's happening in that time. It's, I call it the circle of stupidity. And uh, I'm sorry, I, it's the sickness talking if I keep saying stupid things. Um, it, it's called the circle of stupidity. And here's the pattern that Israel is getting into. They've gotten into the promised land and God has blessed them. They finally made it there. God delivered them out of Egypt. They made it through the, through the wilderness. Then they messed up and wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. And then they got, finally got in there. Joshua led them to conquer the land. So they're there. They're making their homes. They're enjoying the blessing of God. And then very quickly, within a generation, uh, the people of Israel stop following God and, and they start worshiping idols. It, it just doesn't take very long. So, so God does what he does and he calls them back to him. And the way he calls them back to him is he makes things a little diff- difficult for him. He told them, I'm going to send famine. I'm going to send enemies if you walk away from me. And they didn't listen. So they walked away. So that's exactly what God does. He sends famine. He sends enemies. And Israel all of a sudden wakes up and says, what am I doing? I'm a moron. Like, like I need to go back to God. So they call out to God and say, hey, will you forgive us? We're coming back to you. So God is really kind and he sends a judge. And that judge does a little comfort through magic and uh, leads armies to defeat the enemies and then everything's great. Israel's back to God. They've got a judge that's leading them but, but eventually the judge dies and then guess what Israel does again? They're, they're going back through the circle of stupidity. It's, that's why it's called a circle because we just keep doing it over and over and over again. It's a, it's a good summary of my life sometimes that I find myself not learning that, hey, it's better with God. He's worth it. And so they, they walk away. They start worshiping idols. And then guess what God does? Same thing he did last time. He sends enemies and famine. So they come back to him and say, hey, God, 
would you forgive us? We're really sorry. And he goes, you know what? I forgive you. And then guess what happens again? They get a judge. The judge does the kung fu magic. I need to stop saying that. Um, he, he does what he does. Whoops some tail on some enemies. And they free Israel again. And they're happy. Everything's great. They're following God. Judge dies. And then over and over and over again, Israel does this. Not once. Not twice. Not three times. It's, it's hundreds of years of this chaos. <laughs> You're like... God seems pretty patient. And it's not just that they keep going to the same gods. Every time they go through the loop, they get worse. They start adding more idols. So by the time you get to the end of the book, they're filthy, man. I mean, they are disgusting. They are doing things that never should be done anywhere. And you're reading the end of the book like, who are these people? How is God not striking every last one of them dead? And that's not what God does. He eventually shows this unbelievable amount of kindness and he sends them a king. It's King David. It's a guy that's, that's uh, Bible describes him as he's a man after God's own heart. Now there's a, there's a story in between the book of Judges and that, but, but Israel almost messes that up and God is kind and he gracious this, he's gracious to them and despite their constant stupidity and rebellion, he sends them a king. And the book of Ruth is happening in the middle of that chaos. It's right smack in the middle of the circle of stupidity. And you're going to find out that it starts out with stupidity and it ends with God telling you how he gives them their king. It's a really awesome thing. I'm not going to ruin the whole story for you. I'll let Titus tell you all of that next week or the next couple weeks. So here's what I want to do. Let's start in Ruth chapter 1 and just read it with me. I want you to see how this all gets started. Ruth 1 verse 1 says this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Remember, this is a circle of stupidity. Right in the middle of that. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The country of Moab is one of the countries that they don't really get along real well with Israel. They're actually some of the people that oppressed Israel in part of the book of Judges. So this guy doesn't have food, packs up his wife and kids. They go to Moab. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malhan and Chilion. They're really good with names back then. And they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. It, now they're not just sojourning. They're not just going and staying for a little while. Now they're staying there for good. But they, then they remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. So it seems like pretty quickly they get there and all the hopes and dreams they have just seem to get shattered. So, but Naomi doesn't go back home to family and her connection. She stays there with her two sons. And look at what happens in verse 4. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah. I'm not going to make a comment about that name right now. And the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. And both Malhan and Chilion died so that the woman was left, the woman was left alone without her two sons and her husband. So, so you see, really quickly, things go very bad for Naomi. You don't know if she wanted to go to Moab, but she apparently wanted to stay there. And as she's staying there, her husband dies, then her sons get married to Moabite women, then her sons die, and she's just left there, a stranger in a foreign land. She doesn't know the culture. She doesn't know um, the people really well. She's very open to to being oppressed. She doesn't have family really in the area. And now it's just her. She's a widow without defense. And what does she have on her side? Two other widows without defense. And here they are huddled together, probably on the edge of poverty. 
if they're not already wallowing in it. And I got to let you know, there's some things you're going to find that are happening in Naomi's heart as this is happening. As you read the chapter, you're going to see some things. But I want to let you know what I think is happening here as well. I think when Naomi's husband died, she was probably struggling with some guilt. Because I think deep down she knew we probably shouldn't have come here. I think we made a bad decision. You ever had one of those moments? Yeah, okay, good. I'm glad you laughed because uh, if you didn't, I was going to call you all liars. Um, those moments where you're like, I know I made a bad decision, and now it, it's coming home. Like, I'm, I'm reaping the consequences of this. I'm suffering because I'm a moron. I'm stupid, or I'm just rebellious. Like, I've earned this. And all the guilt that comes in over the top of you as you're thinking about that, as the tragedy hits. And, and then it gets worse. Now her two sons marry Moabite women. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, that's an even bigger no-no than moving to Moab. Uh, good Jewish boys don't marry Moabite women because they're idolaters. They don't believe in the one true God. Like, there's all sorts of things that are awful about these people. One of the gods of Moab was Chemoth, or Chemosh, or however you say that guy's name. This guy was so filthy. He's such a filthy god that they would actually do human sacrifice to this god. That's the type of people that her sons married. And, and then what happens? For 10 years, apparently they can't have any kids. They're barren, and then her sons die. Do you think she thinks God is out to get her? I think she probably does. I think, and you're going to find her, she's actually going to say it, that he's against me later on in the chapter. But just imagine all the guilt that she's feeling and all the, the bitterness that's welling up in her heart and all the devastation that has wreaked havoc in this poor woman's life. Now here she is without nothing, without a husband, without her sons. Their family name is going to die with her and these two girls. It's over. It's as bad as it can get for her. And then all of a sudden, that's the background of the story, God kind of steps in and does something. Look and see what happens here in in verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. Now, why did she do this? For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. So she hears this rumor in the field. Don't know how they know it. It's not just that Israel has food. It's that God has been kind to Israel and God is providing food for them. So she hears, there's food there. I've got, I've got nothing here. I'm totally destitute. I'm going back. And that's what she does. Verse 7. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughter-in-laws. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, they're on their way. And she stops. And you get your first taste of what Naomi is like here. She's a real peach, by the way. You're going to pick up on that. She says, go. You just... Just go back. Return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you. Now, if you, if you, got, if you mark in your Bible, circle that word, word kindly. It's going to pop up in this book a lot. It's the Hebrew word kesed, which is, is the overabundant kindness of God. It's, he's going way beyond the call of duty in his relationship. Like if the relationship has this expectation, the kindness of God is here. He goes way beyond what should ever be expected. And what Naomi says is, I'm asking God to be that kind to you. As you have dealt with the dead, as you were with my sons and with me. Verse 9. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them. Basically she's saying goodbye. She kisses them and they wept loud. And I, I hope you can picture this scene. Like this is going to be a crying, slobbery, snotty mess as these ladies are saying goodbye. Because they've lost everything. And as she's walking, it looks like Naomi for a moment is walking to Israel. And she's saying, where am I taking these girls? Like, they don't know any of the customs where we're going. They worship different gods. They don't know the one true God or how to do this. And everybody's going to know it when they show up. They're not going to fit in. 
All right, and, and their home, if they go back home right now, they can go back with their parents who will take care of them. They might get married again and could be happy and have kids. Like going back home offers them every single thing that they've ever dreamed of. It's the Moabite dream, or I guess the American dream, or whatever you want to call it. And, and here Naomi is saying, girls, I, I, I want you to go back. You just, just go back. It's going to be better for you there. I've got nothing for you here. And so these girls... They're pretty awesome. Uh, The fact that they're actually traveling with their mother-in-law away from their family to a different country. Look at their response when she first says this, verse 10. And they said to her, no, no, out of of the question, we'll return with you to your people. Like, this is an awesome thing. No, we're we're moving where you move. We're not leaving you here. And so now Naomi gets a little bit more aggressive and you're gonna see her ramp up in the intensity. And here's what she says in verse 11. Naomi said, turn back my daughters. Why in the world would you go with me? Basically what she says. Why would you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? There's no chance for you getting married. I'm not getting married and I'm not having kids. I'm too old and and that's a weird thing. We're not going to talk about that this morning. But she's saying, I'm not going to have kids that you can marry in the future. And even if I did, here's what she says. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No. This is basically she's saying, this is crazy talk. That no is really firm. It's no. My daughters, and here's where she really taps, uh, caps it all off. It's exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She says two things right there. She says this. You're not sure what she's saying with that bitterness thing? It's hard to understand. She's either saying, I'm too bitter for you you think? <laughs> or, or number two, you coming with me is going to make my bitterness even greater. You're just going to be a burden to me. Thanks, mom. <laughs> really grateful for that. Um, like, you don't need to come with me. You're not going to get married. You're going to, all that you have waiting for you is being a widow and being in poverty. No one will marry you. No one wants you, which is again, thanks, mom. And, and you're a burden to me. Go back to your mom and you'll get married. And and you'll have kids and you'll be safe and you'll be secure and someone will take care of you. We've got nothing over here. Then she says this other thing too. She says that God has gone out against her. (laughs) God doesn't like me. He's aggressively trying to ruin me. It's not just that I'm saying you've got nothing over here. I'm telling you God doesn't like me and he's trying to wreck me. And if you're near me, he's going to wreck you too. Now we're going to talk about that last part here in a minute. But, but I want to take a moment just to look at that first part of what Naomi said. So here's what we missed there. When I first read that, here's what I thought. Man, Naomi's being really thoughtful for these girls, isn't she? She's sitting here saying, I, I just want you to be taken care of. And all that I have is hardship. It, it is way better for you that you would go and get married and be cared for by your family. You, you don't have that over here. You have that over there. And so it looks at first like she's being really caring for these girls. But you know what? She isn't. There's a lie that Naomi is believing right here in this passage. Do you want me to tell you what it is? I don't know why I asked that. I'm going to tell you anyways. Here's the lie that Naomi is believing. She's believing this lie right here. that, That these people, that these girls would come with her. And when they come to Israel, here's what they get an introduction to. They get an introduction to the one true living God. And they get a chance to join and be a part of his people. Naomi thinks that that's nothing. She thinks that it's better for these girls to go back to the idols that they worship, to go back to paganism. She even says it here in verse 15. See what she says there? See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. 
The lie that Naomi is believing is that God isn't worth it. Have you ever struggled with that? Okay, if you haven't, I'm just going to go ahead and raise my hand. There's been times that that question right there has echoed in my head where I've started to doubt, is God really worth it? Is he worth the suffering and saying no to things? Is it worth all this, this pressure that I'm going to get? Um, and so I kind of want to ask you guys a couple questions in that. And I'm going to do something awkward here that makes me uncomfortable because I don't know how you're going to respond. Um, we're going to take a vote here. And um, so this is for the parents. Parents, I want you to listen to this because what I'm going to ask you is, do you actually believe that God is something to offer to people? I mean, do, do you honestly really believe that when you bring people to God, you're bringing something, them something better than they've ever had? And, and here's how I'm going to ask that. So if you're a grandparent in the house, any grandparents or grandparents, will you do me a favor? Would you raise your hand? Keep them up. Don't break a hip or anything. Just keep your hands up. Now, all the parents, I want you to look around and look at all those hands that are up. I'm not a grandparent, but you guys keep your hands up. Look at all the grandparents over here. Okay, you guys can put your hands down. Now, I'm going to ask you grandparents a question, and I'm ho- I hope you're wise enough to get the answer right, okay? We're going to take a vote. Here's the thing that you're going to vote on. If, grandparents, if you could travel back in time, you could travel back in time to when your kids were in your house, and you got a chance to choose this. You would choose advancing your career and making more money so you could pay for college and give them a nicer house and really cool iPods if they even had iPods back then or cassette tapes, whatever it was. That you could give them the latest cassette tape. If you could travel back in time and have a better career and work on that or let your career suffer and you spend more time with your kids. I'm kind of curious. I'm going to ask you which one you would choose. If you would choose going back in time and increasing your career, how many of you would do it? None? Uh, hey, moms and dads, I hope you just saw that. And I hope y'all were being honest, by the way. Um, here, here's my second question. It, if you could travel back in time and not just spend more time with your kids, but if you could travel back in time and, and pour into your kids' walk with God, how many of you would do that in a heartbeat? Keep your hands up. Hey, moms and dads, you guys can put your hands down. Did you see what all these grandparents just said to us? They just said something, and I hope they said it loud and clear to you, that the things that we chase sometimes aren't the things that are best for our kids, that I think without a doubt every grandparent would tell us, stop pursuing things that don't matter as much. Yes, you've got to have a job. We get that. We can't say we're not having a job, but, but we're saying this, there's certain things you can pursue that to love your kids well and spend great time with them and to pour into them so they would love God more than anything else, and every single one of them would go back in time and do that. Hands down, without a doubt, I think every single one of them would do it. And so parents, I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to ask you really clear, are are you demonstrating to your kids that God is worth it? Now, here's the deal. I want you to notice something. Naomi never says God's not worth it. You're not going to see her say that. Do you know what she does say? Marriage is worth it. Security is worth it. Having kids is worth it. And if going to be with God costs you those things, the implication is just go back. And so here's my concern for us parents. And I'm going to go here for a second as a parent because this is what God was working on me for. Um, you guys, we pursue an awful lot of things as parents. I mean, we pursue all sorts of things for our kids. And I'm afraid that we would never, we would never tell our kids, don't follow hard after Jesus. 
But every week we make a lot of decisions about our schedule, don't we? We make a lot of decisions about the priority of our lives, about what we're going to spend our time doing. And most of it, I actually would say the generation above us pursued, pursued their career. This generation right now, my 20 and 30 old, my, my peeps in that age range, I don't know that we're pursuing career. I think we're pursuing family above all else. And I don't think that's a good thing. I think, I think some of us might have bought into the lie that God isn't worth it. That you would, you would throw down to give your kids everything they needed in education, wouldn't you? You would throw down an education to make sure your kids got the best education. You would throw down to make sure they had the best experiences ever. They got to have swimming lessons and t-ball and dance lessons. And all those things are great. But all of a sudden, that's all that we do, isn't it? That's what we chase after. We, we're constantly making decisions every single week. And we'll never say it to our kids. We'll show up every other week to church and say we went to church but what's happening is we're pursuing having our kids having a great time at Disney every weekend or every other weekend, and, and we're not pursuing God. They never see you make the decision that you're picking God over that. And so you know what's going to happen? Maybe your kids might grow up, and when all of a sudden they leave your house and they're given a choice, am I going to pursue my career or Jesus? If Jesus gets in the way, they're going to choose career. And if Jesus gets in the way of their fun, they're going to choose fun. And you know why they might do that? Because some of us have been demonstrating that to our kids for the first 18 years of their life. With every decision that we've made. Don't believe that lie. (laughs) Can, Can I just encourage you? There's a way to do all that stuff and ooze Jesus. Like he's just coming out of you like crazy. Like you loving, you're loving him. You're enjoying him in the midst of all those things. You're telling your kids about it. It's not just, yeah, we go to church on Sundays. But literally you're overflowing with Jesus and your whole life, your kids know and are watching it is wrapped around Jesus. And there's a way to pursue all those things and Jesus gets pushed to the side a couple times a month. You might show up. Don't believe the lie that God's not worth it. Don't, don't communicate that to your kids. Pursue really hard after him. I mean, really get after it. Be obsessed with your kids knowing and loving Jesus. And you can't make it happen. None of us can make our kids love Jesus or follow him. They're going to make their own decision. They really are. But what I'm asking you to do is to pursue hard after Jesus that if they do walk away, um, they're having to walk away from what you taught them. I would hate for our kids to get up and if they want to follow Jesus after they get out of the house, they have to walk away from what we've taught them for 18 years. It'd be much better for me if my kids would say, I'm walking, away from, I'm walking away from Jesus, but I'm also rejecting what my parents taught me. That's what I want. And so I'm encouraging you, believe that Jesus is worth it. And I, I have another question for all of us in here. Um, and it involves the gospel. The gospel means good news. And I couldn't help but chew on this as I was looking at what Naomi was saying. She's saying, just go back. It's not worth it. Just go. As she's saying that, I couldn't help but sit there and and think about how timid I am sometimes to share the gospel with my neighbors. Um, And look, at at work, I don't have unsaved coworkers. My only option to engage the mission is in my neighborhood. I'm really jealous of some of you that every day you get to spend your time with unsaved people at work. Like it's an awesome opportunity that you get to see God work, but but I have to do it in my neighborhood. And it, it blows my brain, I'm a pastor. And I get scared to share the gospel. And not just scared, I get timid. Like, like it's not that I'm afraid, it's just that, honestly, if I said it out loud, I, I think 
it's not worth them not liking me. I, I wouldn't say that out loud, but I'm demonstrating it every single time my mouth is quiet and I feel God saying, just do something, like just say something. And I'm like, I can't, I can't do that. They're gonna get upset at me. They're gonna get mad at me. And so here I am, like a, like a little scared puppy dog in the corner saying, don't make me do that. It's not worth it. It's way too scary. And, and I gotta be honest, I think what I'm demonstrating in that moment by my fear is that the good news isn't really good news to me. If it was really good news to me, I think I would be more bold to share it. Is the good news actually good news to you? Like when you start thinking about Jesus coming and finding you and dying on the cross for you, is there something in you that's saying, no, yeah, that... That's good news. I don't just know it's good news. I feel that this is good news and it's welling up that I'm enjoying that and I want to take it to people around me. Is the good news good news to you? Yes. I hope that it is. And if it's not, here's what I want you to do. I want you to repent of believing the lie that Naomi's believing, that God's not worth it. Repent of that. Turn away from it and believe the lie that he is worth it, that he really is satisfying, that it really is good, that his gospel really is good news. And preach that, self to, you, preach that to yourself over and over and over and over again until you believe it. Just keep preaching it. And then here's the thing that I want you to see next, because in the midst of all this, Orpah goes back, and in verse 15, I want you to see what happens. God begins to show some kindness to Naomi. Here's what she says in verse 15. Uh, Naomi says, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. And, and as intense as Naomi has gotten, Ruth is going to match her intensity and add one. Look at her response. This is, dude, this is awesome. She says this, Do not urge me to leave you. Just stop asking. The idea is stop pushing me away. Don't urge me to do this, to leave you or to return from following you. And then she gets into this increasing... Um, Increasing commitment. Where you go, I will go. And, and where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people will be my people. Let me just hit pause right there. Your people will be my people. She just says, I'm forsaking my nationality and I'm changing citizenships. Just, just imagine saying that one. Imagine you're saying, all right, here's the deal. I'm, I'm forsaking my American citizenship to go with my cranky mother-in-law to Canada. It's nothing but maple syrup and, and hockey for me. That's what I want. That's what Ruth is saying to her mom. She, she's forsaking her citizenship. I'm not a Moabite anymore. I'm an Israelite. This chick is awesome. Here's what else she says. Not only will your people be my people, and your God will be my God. I, it's a new religion for me. It's, it's Jesus. Well, she's not saying Jesus. This is what I would say. It's Jesus and him alone. He's the one I want, and nothing else is going to get in the way of that for me. I want Jesus, so stop asking me to leave him. That's what she says. And then there's more, because she gets really aggressive. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. It's <laughs> just, yep. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined, you think? <laughs> um, to go with her, she said no more. So, so here's Ruth, and, and I gotta be honest with you. Um, guys, I just wanna know, do you find that kind of attitude attractive in Ruth? I mean, you don't even know what she looks like. But this girl is thrown down saying, listen, I'm going where you go. I'm living where you live. Like, wherever you, I'm going to die where you die, and you can't stop me. Like, just lead me there. I'm following you. Like, like, this is awesome. Single guys, all the single guys in the house. I don't know where you're spread out around here. Just hear me really, really well on this. If you find a girl like this, 
get your act together so that she will say this to you. Okay? I'm just, I don't know what to tell you to do, but whatever it is, find this girl and get after it. Okay? That's the type of girl you want to marry. She's saying, it's Jesus. I'm following Jesus. So if you'll lead me there, I'm following you and there's nothing going to stop me from doing it. That is, is awesome. And I got to ask some of you guys this. Man, I want to ask you a question. All the husbands. If your wife said this to you, where would she end up? If your wife came to you and said, babe, wherever you lead me, I am going. However you lead me to follow God, your God is my God. Would she end up being a lover of Jesus or something else? I hope it's a lover of Jesus because you're leading in a certain way, guys. And, and ladies, this one's going to be awkward. Would you ever actually say something that, like that to your husband? <laughs> like if your husband actually wanted to lead you to love Jesus and go hard after him, are you saying, I'm in for that, let's do it? Or are you resisting? I think we'd love to see something like that with Naomi. Single ladies, Are you the type of woman that will say this to a godly husband one day? I hope you're becoming that. And and for all of us here, whether we're single or married, this isn't just about marriage. Like, do we have Ruth's heart towards God? That we come to him and we say, God, wherever you lead me, I am going. Like, I'm following hard after you and nothing but even death isn't going to separate from you. I want you and you alone. Do we have that kind of heart towards God? I pray that he would give it to me more. I really do. So look at what happens here in verse 19. So they finally get back to Bethlehem after this intense conversation. And you're going to find out more of Naomi's bitterness here. Here's what she says. So the two of them in verse 19 went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. They're all like, dude, is that Naomi? Like, and so they're saying that. Is this Naomi? I just kind of skipped ahead. Verse 20. She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Like, uh, all right, Mara. (laughs) Like, like it's literally, I can't even call you Naomi. Like, you're so, you're, you're, you're the person that we want at your coming back party. Like, this is not a party animal right here. She is a cranky, bitter lady because she's been devastated by life. Don't even call me Mara. Call me bitter. I'm bitter. Why am I bitter? Because the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. He's, he's been a jerk to me. She's actually saying it out loud now, which is unbelievable. Verse 21, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. He took everything away from me. What, why would you call me Naomi? Why would you call me something nice? When the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Don't call me Naomi. God's making it really clear. He doesn't like me. He's trying to ruin me. Uh, I'm just bitter. I, he's aggressively trying to destroy me. So I, again, I'm going to ask you guys some questions here. Well, I'm not going to ask you questions. I'm just going to tell you. I think Naomi's missed something here. She's actually half right. And, and here's the half she got right. God definitely is in control of everything. She definitely got that right. It's not that her husband dying caught God off guard and he went, oh, great. Like, if he would have stayed here, I could have saved his life, but bad choice. Now, now they went to Moab and that's the option. They caught me off guard. If they would have just obeyed, I, I might have been able to save him if they would have obeyed. 
God didn't get caught off guard like that. He didn't get caught off guard when her two sons died. He said, if they would have married good girls, I could have saved their life. They could have had tons of kids, but they didn't. They married Moabites. You know what? I'm just going to let them have kids because I don't like them for it. That's not what's going on with God. He, he is in control, but, but here's the part that, that Naomi is missing. She's missing his kindness in the midst of all of this. Yes. Can I show you a couple things that stand out here? Look up there at verse 6. Why did she come back? Because she heard that God had dealt kindly with his people. The fact she even heard that in another country. There's no news. There's no internet. Someone spreads a rumor. God's doing some really cool things back in Israel. You don't think it's, why does God get credit for her husband and sons dying, but doesn't get credit for the good things that happened to her? Why does he not get credit for her hearing the good news and wanting to come back? Why does God get credit for her sons dying, but doesn't get credit for stirring something in Ruth's heart that she's saying, I'm with you wherever you go? Amen. We get these things broken that when we start seeing that God's in control, we miss that he's in control of all the really good things too. And when all you see is the bad things that God does, you miss his heart behind this, that he's good and he's kind and he's merciful and he's looking at you and he's saying, I want to take care of you. I'm your father. That's what he's saying. Let me tell you a couple New Testament verses that talk about that. Romans 5, 8. Because here's what else I think is happening in Naomi's life. She's thinking that she deserves it. But you know what Romans 5, 8 says? God showed his love for us in that while we were still what? Say it again. While we were still what? So Christ died for us while we were still sinners. He looked at us and he said, look, I know you are messing everything up. He said, Fias, you are an you, just, you jack it up all the time. And I happily would die on the cross to save you. That, that gets to speak to something of his attitude towards me, right? In the middle of calamity. <laughs> that he's being sweet to me. Or, or Romans 5.10. While we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God. So it's not just that we were sinners. We were the ones saying, God, you back off. Get away from me. And he's like, you're mine. I want you. <laughs> He picked me (laughs) while I was filthy, while I was being a jerk to him and rebellious. He said, I want you. And there's always those classic things in Romans 8, 20, that we know that all things work together for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Or or there's another one, because here's what I think happens. Romans 8, 15 says this, and you can, I'm hoping you're writing all these down because I... I'm just flying through them. Romans 18 says that we've received a spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So let me lay this out. Some of you are suffering, and you're suffering big time in here. And in your heart, you think that some of the suffering is because you've made bad decisions. And you might have. And, and, and some of your suffering might be because you've made bad decisions. But here's where we get off. You think God is just beating you down for it. You think he's looking at you and he's like, what's wrong with you? Fires is a moron. Like no matter what I do, he just goes further and further away. Look at the pile of sin between me and him. That, that's the, the attitude we think we have. And we're like, I guess I deserve it because he's right. I mean, he is God after all and I'm not. I know the things that I've thought. I know the things that I've done. I know the broken pieces of me. I know the mistakes I made back then. And he, he probably should never, ever, ever get over it. I deserve everything that I'm getting. Remember that verse I just read? That we have a spirit of what? Adoption. That we cry Abba or Daddy. God is telling us that he's like our dad to us. And 
For those of you who had bad dads, let me tell you what a good dad is like, okay? Um, when, when my kids fall and scrape their knee, do you know what I don't do to my little daughter? <laughs> I got this little evangel. She's a, she's a year and a half. She's the one who got me sick, so you can blame her for this chaos right now. But when that little beautiful, cute little girl trips and falls and she cries, do you know what I am not telling her? Told you not to walk like that. I told you. What did daddy say? Did, did you read the instructions that daddy gave you? What do I do to my daughter? Do you think I step back and say, get over here? Heal. That's probably wrong. Right? No. That, that's not how I'm talking to my daughter. I'm coming to you and I'm saying, listen, like I'm taking steps. She doesn't have to get up and get to me. She's crying. I hear it. Daddy's in action. And I'm, going toward, I'm coming towards her. Yes. And what would it be like if as you were suffering, you actually pictured God coming towards you? Yes. What if he came out to you? Uh, what if he did that? What if he was a father like that? Do you think it'd be easier for you to be joyful in your suffering if you realized that in all the hardship that's coming, God is constantly saying, come here, come here, I got it, come here. I, I'm taking more steps than you. Because here's what the Bible says. Before you place your trust in Jesus, all of your sin is in between you and him. But after you place your trust in Jesus, when you realize, man, he died on the cross for my sin and he came back to life three days later and I say, you know what, I'm a sinner. God, would you just save me? You know what he does in that moment? He wipes it all away. And not just the small ones. Not just the past ones. Every broken piece of me that is broken and ruined, no matter how many times I mess up my kids and I'm going to mess up my kids, no matter how many times I slip with what I say or my thoughts go awry, no matter, no matter how many bad and horrible things that you have done, no matter what I've done, he wipes it all away. And it's not in between me and him anymore. The work of Jesus is between me and him now. And it, my sin can't get back in between there. The gospel work of Jesus is stronger than my sin. And that's not an excuse to do what you want. Because <laughs> he is your dad. He's not stupid. <laughs> but he loves you. And he's coming. He's going to scoop you up in his arms and say, I got you. And you're going to trip and fall again. Some will be worse than others. And he's going to scoop you up in his arms and say, I've got you. When, you. when you placed your trust in me, I adopted you. And you will always be my son or daughter. So let me ask you guys a few questions about this story. Because at the end, you see them and they're, they're getting ready for God to do this amazing act of redemption that you will see in the next couple chapters. You're going to see God scoop up Naomi. You're going to see him scoop up Ruth and say, you're mine, I got you. <laughs> And I got you forever. But I want to ask you all this question. Who do you identify most with today in this story? Do you you identify with Orpah? This girl that was convinced he's not worth it, so I'm going back. Can I encourage you, if, if you're believing that lie... Would you repent of that and say, no, it's it's not true. He is worth it. He's worth it. I want him and him alone. Would you preach that to yourself that he's worth it? Ask others to preach that to you. Remind me that tell your wife to tell you, hey, he's worth it. 
All right? Husbands, actually ask your wives because if you don't and they start telling that, it's going to be a fight later on. I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> Send all the emails to Titus, not me. Um, do you identify with Orpah? Or, or maybe as you read this story, you know what? I, I identify with Naomi. <laughs> I know that God's in control, but man, I, I just I feel an awful lot of guilt and shame because I've made some really, really bad decisions. I mean, I've done some awful things. Do you think he's a mean, distant, cold God, or do you see him as your father that actually has paid the price for all your sin and he knew it when he bought you? And he gladly did it anyways. <laughs> that's, that's where I find myself sitting. I find myself sitting there to be Naomi sometimes. I have a heart. Would you preach to yourself and don't do what I do and not believe that Jesus really loves you? Preach to He really loves you. He really paid the price. He really is a good father. He wanted you and he knew what you would be like when he died for you. Or maybe I'm praying that more of us would have moments when we identify with Ruth. That in our heart there would be this thing that would well up in us when we see something in the word or we encounter God that we're saying... I, I want that, man. Give me that. I want Jesus and all of Jesus. Wherever he goes, I'm going there. Where he lives, I live. I, like, I am, his people are my people. He is my God. I want him and him alone, and nothing is going to get in the way of me pursuing hard after him. I'm praying for you guys today and for me that we would have more times that our hearts are like Ruth and less time that our hearts are like Naomi or Orpah. So here's what I'm going to do in a time of response. I'm going to ask you right there, would you just bow your head and close your eyes for a moment? I'm going to give you a few moments right there in the silence. Just to really, if you need to tell God anything that you want to tell him, why don't you go ahead and tell him that right there quietly to, your, to God in your seat. And if you found yourself being like Orpah that you think God's not worth it, would, would you ask him to forgive you for that? And then tell him that you believe he is worth it? And if you're being honest and you don't think he's worth it, would you ask him to change your heart so you would think he's worth it? Oh, maybe you identify with Naomi. If you feel like you've seen bitterness creep up in you and you don't see God as a kind father, would you right there in your seat ask him to forgive you of missing his kindness all along the way? And ask him to give you eyes to see his kindness to you today. <laughs> Would you preach the gospel to yourself? That he died for you and paid the full price for your sin? And some of you here, and you're saying, I've never actually asked him to save me. I've never placed my trust in him. I've never been adopted by him. I want to challenge you. Um, we would love to talk to you about that. After the service, come and find one of us pastors, and we will have to spend some time telling you about the awesome gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me and then we're gonna take some moments to worship God. Heavenly Father, um, God, we need you. And God, I confess at times my, my weakness and my hard heart and my unbelief that you really did forgive everything, that you really are kind. God, would you work in our hearts today? And I, I pray that we would get ready to sing praises to you. God, um, I pray we would see the good news of your gospel. I, I pray we would see that you forgive us even when we have hard hearts, that you're redeeming us even when we're being stubborn. God, for those of us who are suffering here today, 
God, help us see the sweetness of you and the bitterness of life. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.